Hello and welcome to the Over a Barrel podcast where we discuss ideas and opinions related to the energy transition from a North Sea perspective. Hosted by Apollo and FWB and building on our very successful thought leadership events, Jonathan White of Apollo, Stuart Cochran of FWB and invited guests will spend some time discussing, debating and at times maybe disagreeing about relevant topics. Our guest in this first podcast is Nigel Robinson, Director of Marine and Renewables at Apollo. Nigel first joined the industry back in 1990, working as a structural engineer, mainly in support of marine operations and mobile drilling rigs, and rose through the ranks to senior management of an international marine consultancy through positions in the UK, Southeast Asia and Americas. Nigel has been working in the renewable sector since 2012, supporting offshore wind, tidal and wave power projects. Joined Apollo in 2017 and today heads up the renewables and marine divisions of the company. Nigel is a chartered mechanical engineer with a PhD in wind engineering from the University of Cambridge. Thanks, Stuart. Maybe we can kick off with, on a high level point on the, um, the energy transition. Get you to define for us your view the importance of the energy transition moving forward and the ultimate opportunity that this would represent to the the traditional oil and gas sector. Okay, well, thanks for that, Stuart. Um, The energy transition, uh, I think it's absolutely essential that we build a sustainable energy solution for really the 21st century. Um, We have uh, learned so much about energy through the last decades, and we also have experienced um, some changes uh, really that affect the global environment. I think the science is beyond doubt. Um, this has been talked about since I was at university back in the 80s, really, the, the, the global uh, impact of fossil fuels. And it's, uh, yeah, we do need our energy, but we need to find something that's going to work for everyone going forwards. So the energy transition is all about that to me. Um, I don't think we can just turn off the taps. I think that would do far more harm than good, uh, but we shouldn't sit still. So uh, there's plenty of technology out there that can be brought to bear to to build something. And and it, for me, the fundamental is that we, we really need to use the skills and the resources and the economic power that we have at the moment to create this thing for the future. It would be, I think it'd be reckless as well as disappointing if we waited until there was point to no return and we had to do something. We should, we should take the opportunity now to build things up. So there's so much knowledge in the uh, offshore oil and gas industry uh, there's, that can be brought to bear. There's technology. Solar is advancing rapidly. Offshore wind is achieving real economies of scale. And then you've got likes of tidal and wave coming along, uh, enabling technologies like batteries. Uh, the costs are coming down. Uh, meanwhile, uh, hydrogen is starting to appear. We see buses in the streets of Aberdeen that are hydrogen powered. So it's it's uh, definitely something that is is advancing in all fronts. And uh, yeah, so the energy transition is is there to be had, and I think it's essential that we get after it. That's uh, really interesting, Nigel. I mean, I had a quick look yesterday on uh, uh, the uh, Ofgem website for electricity generation in the UK. And no doubt we've made huge strides over the last 10 years in, in moving away from fossil fuels and a significant mix now in, in not just renewables, but nuclear and in imported energy as well. 
But it was interesting to note that uh, on the Ofgem website, is only 13% of yesterday's uh, electricity generation came from offshore, uh, and that's offshore wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, obviously, there's a huge potential out there. H- how, do you, how do you think we are in terms of a, of a nation in going after that potential, not just in wind, but in, in wave and tidal? Well, I think it's uh, it varies. Uh, it varies by geography. It varies by technology. Um, offshore wind, I think, has been a, a fantastic story over the last ten years. Just the the, sh- the strides forward in terms of the scale uh, and 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 the power of each turbine and achieving the economies of scale. That's that's a a very impressive thing. It's um, it's it's being exported internationally for a reason, or it's going around the world, I should say. So uh, I think offshore wind is a success. I was very encouraged to see recent government announcements, of Scottish government announcements, about increasing the the contribution from uh, renewable energy sources in the near future. So uh, yeah, all power to that. The other side of it is the ocean energy piece, the tidal and the wave. Uh, these are technically less mature than offshore wind. Uh, but they present an interesting opportunity for this island nation that we live in. Uh, we, it's uh, We've got so many maritime skills. We've got the subsea skills from offshore oil and gas. And these technologies are starting to, you're putting steel in the water, you're getting electricity into the grid. But they're so far behind in terms of the economic uh, advantage uh, that I think they do need a bit more stimulation uh, or investment to to bring them down the cost curve the way that offshore wind came down the cost curve. But there is an opportunity here to export this internationally. Tidal, we, we are ahead technically. Um, tidal has great potential in other parts of the world. And, and if we don't go after it, I think other countries will. Uh, Japan and China and uh, USA are all interested in this. So is Canada. So um, it would be nice to see us take a, a lead, leading role and, and build this technology up to the future. What's the what's the basis for having the I suppose the technical lead at this point? I was looking back at the history of um, wave and tidal generation, and it's been, it's been a rocky path, hasn't it, with with supports and uh, government support and technologies petering out through lack of I don't know what it's lack of lack of uh, support, I guess, or market for it, or the economics weren't right um, from a layman perspective. Is it because we've got a bit of a first mover advantage on the technology we've been through that that positions us for that opportunity of trying to export that knowledge? I think so. Uh, we uh, There's been a lot of interest. I've followed this since uh, through my career, uh, particularly interested in WAVE. And uh, it's, it's come from a position of uh, inventions and ideas that maybe this could turn into something. But when it comes to getting something working in the water that will last that's that's a real engineering challenge and in a way it's a it's a it's almost it's a confounds itself in that you want to have something that is dealing with some of the most aggressive environments that you can imagine uh, in terms of the wave power uh, and yet be strong enough for that so it's how do you how do you achieve that integrity so uh, i think the learning have over the years has gone from that invention through to demonstration through to practical devices which are now out there working and learning how to make that work Uh, how then do you step up from there how do you go from 
small, relatively small-scale demonstrators into the, the larger-scale investment that would be needed. Uh, so there's that question about how to step up and how to go through the stepping stones, if you like. Something that works at one scale gives confidence for the next scale and so forth. But meanwhile, uh, ocean energy is competing with offshore wind, and, and it is a lot easier to back in a proven technology like offshore wind, where you there is still still a lot further that you can go with that. And uh, and and maybe not take so much risk. So how do you how do you reconcile all that? Um, I, I think uh, it's it's got to be policy. You need to have some kind of government policy which is backing the new technologies with one eye to the future. Because if we go back to the uh, the point of being in this part of the world, this part of the world is all about the North Sea. Uh, I'm talking about Aberdeen here, and you knowing how to work and and make the most of the North Sea is what this city does. So um, I think. Uh, the future is deeper water, floating, tidal ocean devices. But to get there, we need to have the investment today. And you see the, the government, obviously they're, they're uh, very committed to offshore wind, as you say, this latest licensing round and the, the ambition that's related to that is, is great to see. Is there a, a, a phase shift on the view on Tidal that's that's required in government circles to see the the opportunity there and the potential benefit. Uh, I I think so. I'm, I'm not I'm not really an expert in in policy, um, but I do see we have clients who are tidal developers, and they are they're having to play in really quite a tough playing field. In that, they're if you look at the competition contracts for difference uh, contracts, which are a way of uh, financing or helping finance. Uh, developments, they're, they're pretty much having to compete in a level playing field with offshore wind developments where economies, economies of scale have, have happened. So it is, um, if you like, I think it's a, a bit of a poorer cousin title from that point of view, but it's got this great potential. Uh, what, funnily enough, what I see is a lot of interest in the wave side, which is the technology behind title. It's, it's further behind the maturity curve and has even harder challenges to, to resolve uh, but there's a lot of stimulation and packages and interest in, in getting that going. And we've got a project in the go where uh, it is is benefiting from that process. So uh, I do sometimes feel titles squeezed in the middle. I don't I don't really know why. <laughs> it's a, a, a interesting, Nigel. That was a question I was going to ask. But is there enough government support for, for 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 this like middle technology after offshore wind? But maybe then we can go to the other scale. Is there enough interest? And a, a lot of work in Aberdeen is in oil and gas. Is there enough interest now from the oil and gas clients in electrifying their assets to uh, 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 achieve uh, uh, the, the the vision that we have for oil and gas to be uh, uh, carbon neutral by twenty thirty five? Yes, good point. Uh, there's 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 interest. Definitely see interest. You hear about projects and so on. I sometimes feel it's it's a dabbling interest in that. Uh, it's a relatively small-scale device that might be put close to an offshore platform, see how it goes on. But it really doesn't make a big difference economically to to the performance of anything. Uh, but it's that's the kind of step that is needed to, to build the confidence in the technology. So instead of having one device, maybe you have a range of devices that can uh, support the platform. You gradually build up to maybe the idea of the future platform will have an offshore substation integrated with it. Um, so uh, you need to find the ways uh, to build up and, and get towards that. So electrification, there is an appetite. I think there's a lot of, lot of political will to to see the oil and gas industry um, embrace uh, 
electrification and decarbonization, and and this is part of it. Uh, I'm an engineer. I like to see good engineering, and I'm aware of the risks of uh, engineering, or the the fact that engineering, if it doesn't work out well, it can actually have an impact on the confidence in these technologies. So whatever is put in place has to be a good solution. So you have there's a technical technology readiness element to to whatever you put out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then that's the point, I guess, is that we need to invest in this technology to prove it. Uh, but there's economics at play as well. I mean, uh, a lot of the assets out there in the North Sea are aging and to have a significant investment to electrify them probably doesn't stack up for a lot of these assets right now. So there has to be a political will, some support here to 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 uh to prove the technology, I guess. And uh, are we seeing enough of that is probably the question. That's a good question. <laughs> um, One other observation I would make on that is if you go back to the earlier days of wind, offshore wind, um, Scandinavian countries, Denmark in particular, were, were very uh, keen and, and supported that and really took a lead on that. I'm wondering, is there a country out there or a particular region that, you would see as an early adopter or supporter of these technologies? I think we're one of them, um, without a doubt. Um, I, I mentioned uh, Canada and USA. They, they, they're involved in these as well, um, but also China um, and Japan, I believe. Uh, you, I heard, I remember seeing uh, presentations about Japan having banks of floating offshore wind, which were... Uh, which were put in place to support the sequestration of carbon into uh, into carbon storage, and so there's an element of putting together those technologies. So yeah, there. I I think we're up there. I think we've got a, a real opportunity to to make the most of it. But uh, like you say, it's it's getting for the point where it seems to be a small little fringe play into something that is genuinely part of the bigger mix. There's undoubtedly a lot of interest. A lot of people are talking about this at the moment, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's. It's a it's an evolving situation. It's an interesting observation, Stuart. I think uh, you know, looking at where Denmark was in offshore wind, it was the the leader, I think, in Europe and and established a, a very strong position uh, in there, especially in manufacturing. Now uh, that's its legacy. I mean, I think in terms of wind generation, offshore wind generation, UK now leads Denmark, but you wouldn't see UK as a as a, a, a base industry in offshore wind, whereas you always look to Denmark. So there is an opportunity here, and uh, yeah, it's how we get after it and, and achieve that leading position. I definitely think it's a, it's a good place that we're, we're at right now, but can we keep the momentum going? What are the, the dynamics, Nigel? And this is, I am an engineer on my mother's side, so I've got a sense of it. But on the point there of being a manufacturing base for this technology, what is the manufacturing base it's required to support um, the tidal wave sector and technologies that will be developed? Um, I think there, I think we have them uh, in place already. Uh, what are they? Uh, I, I'm thinking of specific projects. I'm thinking of, say, the Bomb- Bombora project, which is a subsea device that is being developed uh, by Bombora in the southwest of Wales. Um, they... Uh, they need uh, manufacturing of uh, mechanical, large, fairly heavy mechanical equipment. That's all in place. They're doing that in the in the UK. Uh, they, that's meshed with uh, structural 
framing, which we we designed. And uh, so the design capabilities there, it's being built locally, mm-hmm. it's being towed to field, it's being installed. All these elements are there. Uh, you've got Orbital, uh, who are building a tidal device. I think that's down in Dundee, they're building that possibly. Yeah. And uh, and it, it's, it's local fabrication. It's the same stuff that we do. Um, and it's fine for the moment in that uh, the scale of these devices, they're one-offs, they're demonstrators, they're small, very small grid. Uh, but uh, the scaling up of those when they start to build multiple devices, if you if you want to genuinely have an economic impact from a tidal array or wave array, it will have to be a large, large deployment of multiple devices. And uh, having the supply chain in place that will be able to deliver a whole production line of very large devices. Uh, do we have that in place? Uh, that's an interesting question. It's uh, we might have might have had that in the past, but I'm not sure that we have that right now. So if you compare that to offshore wind, when uh, people are starting to put in place 100 turbines on a, on an offshore wind farm, there was a real sense you needed a whole infrastructure and supply chain to feed all the elements together to the port where they're taken out to field and then put in place. So you have the marshalling area, uh, which uh, is on the coast, but then behind that, there's a whole industrial heartland that puts together all the different components, uh, the turbines and the structures and so forth. Uh, and getting that together, um, I know there's been people looking at that. Uh, there's uh, green parks, I think, off in the east coast of England and so forth. That's what we need to to be able to develop, uh, deliver at a, a large scale array. But it's also something that's not been captured by anyone else yet. It is an opportunity for us. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, going back to the position that Denmark took in offshore wind, definitely an opportunity for for, for UK as an island nation with this huge marine resource to uh, establish a position there for sure. A huge opportunity. Going back to the thought leadership event we did uh, last year with. Uh, Colette Cohen and Gordon Ballard on decarbonizing a carbon industry. One of the facts I looked out there was the International Energy Agency predict in 2040 that uh, our energy demand will have grown by another 30%. So uh, it's got to come from somewhere. It can't just come from fossil fuels. So uh, I think, uh, you know, we need to, uh, as, 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 a, as a nation, as, as a, a governments around the world, we need to, to uh, you know, really uh, attack this opportunity in terms of... Um, energy transition and renewables technologies. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Gordon Ballard's uh, latest, I think it was, was it just this week or last week, an article, I think it was at the FT or some some news outlet, again, restating the importance of oil and gas in the mix and, and that it has to be respected that it will continue to be a major contributor going forward. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and looking at the IEA prediction that, of of the mix, fossil fuels will still make up seventy percent of that. So uh, even though we're UK, we're, we're we're turning the other way. We we have to look to places like Africa, where fossil fuels are, are, are you know fuel their energy demands. So uh, hydrocarbons are still important. Of course, they are. There's uh, there's an interesting report released by DNVGL about the energy transition recently, and they were talking about the electrification piece. I think. Doubling by uh, the electrical content of the global energy, doubling by 2050. Uh, but it's also saying that you know gas is very much part of it. And uh, speaking technically, you have to have solutions that uh, resolve the intermittency of supply. 
So if we're dependent on the weather, you have intermittency and so forth. You need to have alternative sources. And there's lots of reasons why you'd have a, have a mix rather than uh, any one technology at any one time. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, thinking about the, those last comments there in Aberdeen, it's very much focused as a uh, as a, a city on oil and gas. So, that, But there are fledgling opportunities for energy transition I mean, ourselves at Apollo, we, we, we're quite active in, in renewables projects. What do you think the future holds for uh, our, our home city in terms of uh, energy transition and pivoting away from oil and gas sustainably into, into uh, renewable projects? Is there, is there enough flexibility within, within the local uh, economy and industry to do that effectively? I think it's a very interesting unfolding uh, opportunity for for Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. See, um, they during the boom years of oil and gas, of course, it's all very transactional. We've got a project, we get a project done, we come into Aberdeen, we'll get things done, and uh, and it's all very supply and demand driven and so on. But uh, now uh, we've had we've had our rock and role over the last few years and uh, I think that's encouraged a totally new way of looking at uh, opportunity and economics and project diversity and so on. So now what we've got, uh, we've got potential. Um, there's the the offshore wind is coming further north, Scott wind is coming north, uh, that's introducing the floating offshore wind. If I go back three or four years, I was attending events where people saying, ah, oh, it's way away, floating offshore wind, long way away. But now people are saying, oh, actually, it's going to be a large part of the current round of licensing. So so that's an opportunity for Aberdeen. It's deep water. And, and all that we know about tying things down and holding them in place and moving them around at sea, that's going to come to bear. Um, I mentioned the tidal and wave. It is perhaps they're part of a, an electrification piece. So there's the interest in building electrification. But then there's also the carbon capture and the decarbonization of assets. And, and what an opportunity for this part of the world to use all its skill and knowledge to start to advance those uh, solutions. And, and then that is a that becomes a center of excellence. So uh, Aberdeen is a center of excellence for subsea. That was recognized a few years ago with the city deal. Um, we could be the center of excellence in these in energy transition as well. And uh, that, yeah. I can see the a lot of moves in that direction already. Do you think there's enough support from local government for that? Do they, 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 I mean, there is the the the, the one uh, uh, program that you see uh, Aberdeen Harbour uh, redeveloping uh, uh, the, the, the the south facility, along with a, a land a land identified to the rear of that for energy transition. Is there enough, Nigel uh, Stewart? Do you think we, we're doing enough locally? Could, there, could we be doing more? To, to be a touch controversially on it, the the local angle on it I think is important to Aberdeen, but if you look at it from a, I say a Scottish perspective, um, you wouldn't want to lose opportunity um, as a nation by being too local with a focus. And I think if if Scotland as a nation has an opportunity to become a centre of excellence um, on. The, the areas you were exactly talking about there, Nigel, the, the problems on the doorstep with the oil and gas industry, so uh, we can help fix that. And the opportunities on our doorstep with, particularly, particularly at this stage, offshore wind um, and coming along the ocean energy technology behind that, you think as a nation we should be able to capture it. I'm a wee bit worried about, we're always um, talking about Aberdeen and, and its future, which I think is hugely important 
I'm committed to Aberdeen. I'll, I'll remain here for the foreseeable future. Um, I just have a bit of a worry that, that we're too focused on Aberdeen and not we don't want to miss the bigger picture. Yeah, the, the bigger picture is, uh, of course, that you've got a lot of uh, project development experience in Central Belt. You've got other ports. There's... Uh, there's operational ports like Dundee and then there's Aberdeen and then you've got the fabrication facilities and the dry docks and so on like up in Nick and uh, Cromarty Firth and then you've got Kishorn is back in back in the mix so yeah of course there's a much wider opportunity and uh, and and then there's northeast of England as well east coast England there's it's and you've got Bristol you've got uh, southwest Wales they're all after it and it's all uh, an opportunity for all of us I think if we if we were only thinking of the Aberdeen market we wouldn't be working for nearly as many offshore uh, renewable developments as we are today no it's fair enough I guess I was just thinking in terms of uh, the city and what it's what its USP is uh, in terms of renewables yeah, I agree. I think from to your point, Jonathan, there is a lot going on, and I think I would I would argue there is um, lots of initiatives and lots of um, priorities placed on on developing Aberdeen's role in that. Um, I would say we're in a good position yeah. to compete with most. Yeah, people. no, yeah, no. I think uh, we're doing a, a making a reasonable fist of it here, and uh, I am speaking locally. This is my home city. I live here. I want to see it flourish. Uh, obviously, we always want to see more, but we're, we're making a, a reasonable start start at it. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I think, sorry, if I could come in with a point that the, the things we've learned, it's just worth emphasising the things that the offshore oil and gas industry has learned from floating devices in deep waters and harsh environments directly transferable to a lot of these technologies especially when you get the floating offshore wind which is going to be the large large scale opportunity in the near future um so for example um the moorings of an fpso there have been lots of issues uh, that were discovered after the fpso's were put in many of them in the 90s very quickly they encountered problems uh, so that learning about how to solve that problem what the problem actually is needs to be taken over to the other solutions and uh, and there's an opportunity to do that so long as the the market market remains open to uh, learning and bringing in expertise from different areas um so i think uh Customers in, in the offshore wind sector have done a, an amazing job in pushing this technology forward, but I think there's a great opportunity for them to learn as well from the the experience of this oil and gas sector. Yeah, I, I think. So, I, I, see, come, sorry, Jonathan, you go. Go, go on, Stuart. You're in there. I was going to say that the, the I think part of the model maybe going forward is companies like Apollo, for example, that you'll have a balance of your business on traditional oil and gas and renewables going forward and that will flex and probably change its proportions as the as the energy mix changes its proportions and maybe we can overlay that hopefully onto Aberdeen as well that it it develops that way as well when it has a portion of its productivity based on traditional oil and gas and an increasing proportion on the the renewable sector and that's the model we're all I guess planning for and hoping for is we get that balance are you seeing that in your business uh, we are, I think, uh, without without even concentrating on it, you see we've the demographics or the or the sector demographics of what we what my team works on day by day has, has shifted, and uh, we we do a lot of work on renewables, and it's uh, it's just sort of gradually been moving over. 
doesn't mean that we're not uh, that, that we're, we're ceasing work on anything else. We're still doing uh, plenty of work in the oil and gas sector more than ever in some ways. But um, yeah, there has been a, a steady and progressive shift over. One of the one of the challenges, though, that um, I think is being addressed now is uh, the local content. Wherever that local content is, whether it's uh, yeah, just let's talk about the UK, for example. Um, Offshore developments, the, the contracting strategy in an offshore development is often has moved towards a set of tier one contractors. And the, just the, the way the industry is built up, a lot of these tier one contractors might not be UK-based companies. They may be based in the Netherlands or, or, or other parts of the world, Germany, whatever. Um, so although there's a desire to have local content, the tier one contracting mechanism does tend to leak work away that could otherwise be done done locally but there is a, there's a lot of attention to that at the moment you see um, supply chain events and so on which uh, are, are all the all the developers do these supply chain events so you can come and they do a presentation of the project and you have an opportunity to chat uh, talk to project uh, team members and to demonstrate what you do um, so hopefully as time goes by the the engineering fabrication construction content of the local content is present as well as uh, more routine things like logistics and so on, which are the easy, easy wins, if you like, in terms of local content. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's progress going in that area, but it has been an issue over the recent years about, about work just leaking away overseas without anyone actually meaning it to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Nigel. I think uh, UK has been left with balance of plant and some of these projects, which isn't very, uh, very interesting. And uh as much as it pains me to say it, maybe there's an opportunity for Brexit there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Being controversial again. So well, just going back to you, said, <laughs> you said you wouldn't talk about the US election and now you're bringing in Brexit. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> well, we've got to be controversial in a podcast, otherwise people won't listen to it. Yeah. Um, going back to something you said we were talking about before and the transfer of technology and the experience and competency we have in oil and gas to some of these areas like wind, offshore wind, uh, uh, marine, uh, wave and tidal. In the past, that has been, I think, quite difficult for oil and gas companies to do. It's, we're perceived as being expensive, uh, boom or bust cycle. That hasn't been very interesting for some of the uh, offshore wind, certainly developers. Um, and, and me looking into the uh, both sides of the argument, I still see some barriers there between getting that technology and experience out of oil and gas into some of these areas. Uh, can you see a, a better way? A be, uh, is there a, a, a better forum for doing that? Because I think in the past it's been very much them and us. How do we break those barriers down? How do we how would you get it back down just to pure, simple engineering again and transferring that, that experience and technology over? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. There has been a... A wariness among, say, offshore wind to uh, bring in the oilies, if you like, um, <clears throat> oil and gas industry. Its its reputation is it's expensive. Uh, it's also a market that swings around a lot. So we have our booms, we have our our, our crashes, and, uh, and during the crashes, suddenly everyone's interested in alternative markets. And so the 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 worry or the wariness has been, well, 
today's uh, all the all the courting that goes on today might just suddenly turn into a cold shoulder tomorrow, and uh, you know the, the industry would be left high and dry. I think everyone's moving on from that. Uh, I think uh, for a start, um, the oil and gas industry's had uh, quite a few wake up calls over recent years, and uh, and has made it has really addressed its own competitiveness, uh, which undoubtedly helps. Uh, from our point of view, what, what we what we quote to oil and gas, we also quote the same sort of deal to uh, renewables, which is the same sort of deal to decommissioning. And, and actually, they're, they're, they're much of a muchness to me. Um, I don't see that there's a massive economic difference. So that that kind of leveling of the playing field uh, certainly will enable. Um, but then also through the electrification, uh, I'm seeing um, so-called green organizations or, or sort of green energy developers actively courting oil and gas clients and uh, and saying, well, why don't you try our device to help you to where you need to go? And, and I think the more of that that goes on, then the more that there is this mutual trust and respect that goes on. But uh, yeah, so there is, there's an opportunity there. In fact, if I sort of wind forward in time, I could imagine that uh, an offshore development it won't just be a case of saying, well, I need an FPSO, we need the, the risers, we need the plets, the plems, all that stuff. You might also have a different toolbox. There might be a toolbox which says, well, we'll have a, an offshore substation and we'll have a, a number of uh, energy gener- electricity generating devices as part of this. And maybe there's a reinjection device that goes in as well that wasn't there before. So um, it's almost like there's a whole new concept where the two the two legacies come together a lot more into an overall economic best practical economic uh, solution. Yeah, I do agree with you. I see I see now that there's more dialogue between the two uh, uh, industries and, and, and companies, and I talk about Apollo again, are, seeing, uh, are being seen as an engineering consultancy just to provide their services, whether it's oil and gas or, or renewables. And I think that's where we need to be as an industry. We, we're energy we provide energy, we provide energy solutions, we provide uh, uh, engineering solutions to, to all energies. So that's that's yeah. definitely where Aberdeen needs to be. I've always come at it that, uh, I mean, you, you talk about balance of plant. I, I spend a lot of time doing the balance of plant and uh, there's plenty of technical challenge in that. Uh, to me, it's steel, it's water. You're either trying to withstand the marine environment or you're trying to do something in the marine environment. Same for an FPSO as it is for... Uh, floating offshore wind device in fact you know we did a project recently where someone was asking us to to take their subsea mounted uh, wave device can they put it onto a floating structure we just took the knowledge straight off semi-subs <laughs> drilling semi-subs and said well it's the same thing and it, okay it's a slightly different geometry sure there's a the stuff that goes on top and that's fundamentally different but from from that point of view it's the same and there's great great advantages of using using one set of skills for another. Does that work then as an opportunity? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about resourcing and, and attracting um, the next generation into the industry. So you're an engineering consultancy. Are you pitching to the next generation of engineers as an energy consultant, as a, an energy engineering consultant, emphasising the renewable elements of it? And by the way, they may have to do some some horrific oily stuff at some point, but you know, come and do the, the, the next stage engineering, clean engineering solutions. Is we, that what you're pitching? Well, we've been recruiting graduates uh, over the recent years. We were delighted to bring in a couple of cohorts of graduates uh, just last last year and the year before. Um, we present ourselves as doing the whole thing. 
so renewables is part of it. What I would say is uh, the applica- applicants are all coming with uh, more credentials and uh, uh, which are related to green and the projects, the final year projects. There, a lot of them are doing projects about uh, energy generation. The ones we we work with, they're not phased by oil and gas. Uh, they don't see that as a problem. Uh, some, quite a few of them have parents or relatives who are in the sector and they have a, have a decent understanding of what it's all about. Um, so I don't think it's uh, quite as cut and dried as it's uh, as this dirty industry or anything like that. I think that's quite a mature um, outlook on on what uh, what the industry is all about. But um, yeah, it's undoubtedly part of the mix. Uh, the guys are in and they're working on renewable projects and they're 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 loving it. So it's uh, it is it's without a doubt it's uh, it, the transition is on underway if you like. Mm-hmm. Be uh, interesting to reflect back to you, Stuart, on in terms of FW Park Brown's business. I mean, you're focused up here in Aberdeen in the in the past. I imagine on oil and gas, do you see much activity even within those companies to recruit uh, renewables people for electrification projects and and the like? Do you see any of that going on? I, I think we, I suppose, our strong um, stronghold has always been oil field services sector. And I think a lot of the early stage um, specialist hiring is happening in the operating companies. They are looking at the uh, obviously their strategies of of being green energy businesses and stepping away from the traditional um, carbon generating um, hydrocarbons. Um, so I think you, you see it in those businesses in the service sector. We have been working with them. The the looking for heads of renewables, VP renewables, those sort of roles. And it's, to be fair, they're still almost looking for people with a traditional oil and gas background that can take them that way as opposed to, it's not often we get the mandate to go into renewables, find somebody and bring them into the industry. Mm. See, that's a funny thing because I think the, the, the renewables industry has got can has has learned so much over the years that they can teach uh, other industries. They they've got stuff to to share, you know. So it's uh, I, I've been a bit disappointed in a couple of uh, industry events in recent years where it's talking about energy transition and what can renewables do for the energy transition and and without naming names, it's all the usual players who are up there doing the talks and it's oil and gas people. So well, hang on. Te- bring in the renewables people and let them tell us what they've learned because the days of uh, oil and gas having all the answers and really th- people should just buy that are gone. I mean, sure, there's stuff to learn, but uh, I think it should flow both ways. I, I agree. I think it's 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 uh, outdated perceptions that's, that's driving these hiring decisions. It's it's uh, I think the with a bit of courage, they, they should be bringing in that skill set. Because as you say, the, I think the industry is mature enough, the renewables industry is mature enough now that they they have got the experience there to bring into the industry. And, and companies with that intention of balancing the market and seeing that as a future growth area for them should be making those appointments from the renewable sector. Mm-hmm. I agree. Good. It's been a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much, Nigel. All right. Well, no pleasure chatting to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yes, uh, hope you've enjoyed this first e- edition of Over a Bow, uh, presented by Apollo and FW Park Brown, and uh, we look forward to hosting you at our, our, our next episode. And thank you for Nigel for being our first guest and your interesting insights on ocean energy and where we sit in the uh, 
in Aberdeen and, and the nation in terms of the energy transition. Pleasure. Thank you. So thanks for listening to this latest edition of Over a Bell, hosted by Apollo and FWB Park Brown, looking at the role that ocean energy has to play in the energy transition and the impact we have on the local community and the nation as a whole. Uh, we covered quite a lot of interesting uh, topics there within, within the subject matter. We hope you enjoyed it. So thank you for again for uh, Nigel for being our guest. And uh, please write to us at overabell at apollo-oe.com with your thoughts and comments and indeed topics for future conversations. We're keen to make this a community-based discussion, so your input is very welcome. And we look forward to hosting you next time at Over a Bell.